Welcome to the 9 to 5 Dropout Show, where you learn from leading experts how to quit your job and successfully start your own business. With your host, author, owner of Mind, Body and Spirit Entrepreneur and creator of the 9 to 5 Dropout Academy, Rachel Thompson. Welcome to the 9 to 5 Dropout Show, your weekly inspiration to get off that hamster wheel quit the nine to five, and finally pursue your passion. Now, today's guest is going to give us tons of insight for anybody who has ever been interested in opening up a franchise. We're talking to Mario Miller, and she is an accomplished franchise executive, an organizational effectiveness consultant, and a speaker with a unique blend of 25 years experience in the franchise environment and an expert understanding of high-performance talent engineering. She is able to combine a research-based understanding of people, performance, and profitability for some of the most recognized names in franchising today. She is going to share so many insights with us. We have actually talked in the past, and she is a wealth of information, things that I never knew, and I guarantee most of our listeners never knew about actually going into franchising and opening up your own franchise. So welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, hi there. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So I know I gave you a brief introduction. But can you tell us a little bit about how you became a nine to five dropout and decided to open up your own business as a franchise consultant? Um, sure. Yeah. Um, actually, that's an old uh, an old summary. This year is thirty years for me in franchising. You know, in uh, in total, and um, <clears throat> my story, you know, is not unlike a lot of the folks that I help today. Um, I got out of college, I got out of graduate school, I fell into corporate America. I spent about um, 10 years in corporate franchising, flew around the country, you know, did all kinds of stuff, career climber, you know, um, made money, helped a lot of people, you know, um, and and it was funny because um, after that, I got into consulting work. I had worked for a couple of really great franchise systems and some really poor ones, and I thought I had enough information to now consult and I started that. And, um, and one day I woke up and I, had, I realized I had forgotten to do something. And it was like, I wasn't married. I didn't have any kids. I didn't have much of a social life because I was traveling all the time. I had a, a condo on the beach, which was very nice, but I was never home. And I had a very empty existence, you know, and I was getting older. And so I decided to, um, you know, to really make changes in my life. And to have different types of, uh, of a purpose. And I was still doing the corporate thing, got married, settled down, had kids, and, and really came to, um, came to the realization about three years into this new life of mine that um, I was really uh, designed to be with those kids, you know, that it wasn't a, a thing that, that, you know, I was supposed to be doing 10 hour days and traveling and all of that and having these two little babies at home. And, um, and I began to look for my alternatives. Um, I was at a point in my career, I really had achieved everything I wanted to achieve. <clears throat> and it, it wasn't a normal time to actually leave a career, you know, for someone who was a, like, I was really ambitious, I thought. But when those priorities switched, um, I realized I was getting older. I realized that um, the future might not be what I had intended it to be. I saw a lot of younger people entering into the, the workforce and entering into the career path that I was on. And I decided to just pull together my skills, my experiences, my competencies, my strengths, what I had learned, and try to apply that in a situation that would give me both security and freedom. And that's, I think, what people want. And that is like an oxymoron, right? Like, how do I have security plus freedom? Mm-hmm. But, um, but that's, that was what I strove to find. And so it took me a little bit of time uh, when I had uh, uh, really figured out that what I was going to do was to get into this practice of being a consultant, a franchise consultant in my own business. Um, I took about six or seven months. And during that time, I saved a lot of money. 
I had a goal to have um, six months of living expenses, you know, stored away. And I interviewed about 14 people who were doing this, doing this job uh, to determine, you know, what do the people who do well have in common? What do the people who don't make it have in common? You know, what is the lifestyle? What is the quality of your life? What is the sector and what is the potential? And that's a lot of time you know, to, 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 to figure out. And once I got to the point of a level of confidence, um, I, I walked in and I quit, you know, six-figure corporate America job and um, have never looked back. And that was uh, 14 years ago and uh, never looked back. And the road has not been all peachy at all. But at the end of the day, I, you know, I, I raised the girls the way I wanted to. And I live a life by design, not default the way I was living it. And I really, you know, love helping people do the same, you know, take the journey to investigate it so that you don't have any regrets. Mm, you gave so many wonderful little nuggets of advice and inspiration just in telling your own story. And I, you, it sounds like you went about it the right way. You didn't uh, make any emotional decisions. You know, you waited and saved up money and you also interviewed people. You wanted to know what it would be like once you actually got into the field. So can you talk a little bit more about what the first few months, what the first year was really like once you were completely on your own? Um, <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Uh, so... Okay, so I was doing all of that work because I was driven by fear. I wasn't driven by inspiration at that time, you know. Mm-hmm. I was scared to death. Um, I just was scared to death to, you know, you don't, you don't just take everything, you know, all of your education, all of your experience, you know, being in a position that's pretty secure in a corporate job <clears throat> with a future and, uh, and exchange that for a startup without, I think, just a ton of adrenaline and a ton of... Uh, of, of anxiety. And so whenever I personally, whenever I get nervous, um, I just start learning. I just know it's about questions. I know my anxiety is that I don't have enough answers and I just dive really heavily into stuff. So, uh, that's where that came from. It, it wasn't that, you know, I'm so smart, <laughs> you know, it worked, it worked for me, but you know, that's really where it came from fear. And a lot of people, they it's fight or flight, right? They do nothing when they're fearful. They run away when they're fearful you know, what I do is I just, I dive headstrong, you know, into learning um, and being persuaded one way or another. So anyway, so when I got started, I was very lucky, you know, uh, there was sort of a consortium, a group of people that I uh, joined with, like a franchise, you know, this was a, a like m- more of like an association. Um, the work that I do is not a franchise, although there is a franchise that does the work that I do. I, I simply did not go that route. And, uh, but there was this consortium of about 30, 30 people. Um, and the, what I did right was this, I was incredibly open-minded. I believe that whenever you reinvent yourself or start something new, there's a period of time when you're allowed to just be totally ignorant and ask the dumbest questions and be the, the leech that just, you know what I mean? Bleeds people dry of their knowledge. And I took total advantage of that. And, uh, and I just, was always on the phone, always getting coaching, always getting advice, always running my ideas past people. I knew that I didn't know much, but I knew what I didn't know. So I just was extremely open-minded, extremely coachable. And I realized that although I think I'm so smart, there is a proven way to do stuff. And if you did it and got those results, I could learn how to do it and get the same results. And I wanted your results. So I had to subjugate my ego, right, and my way of wanting to do things and adopt the proven way. And that's what I did right. So I had, as I said to you, you know, I had six months of, of money saved and I didn't make a dime for eight months. And um, I, w- I really sweated it out because I didn't know how to do this thing, really. And uh, what I didn't get was that although nothing happened really big for all that time. Um, I was building, you know, lists of people. I was building contacts. I was building a pipeline, all that activity and energy, you know, working full time at this, 
you know, it was something was happening. Momentum was building. And in the middle of my eighth month, um, I had two placements happen. I helped two people get into business. And uh, from there, it was, I don't want to say easy street, but it was, I was at cruising altitude. I had lifted off and there I was at cruising altitude because of the work I had put in. Like it, it does overflow into your, it's like building future equity, right? All that you're doing, whether it's relationships, you're building customers lists, you know, um, whatever that is, that activity builds behind you and it feels like nothing's happening and it's scary, but, um, but it, it, it works. And, and the, the homework that I did you know, prepared me for this launch period. And I think it's super important to, to understand that. And so often I help people do this today and uh, they get so caught up in that bridge building, like getting from where I am to cash flow positive, right? Whether that's six months, nine months, 12 months, 18 months, whatever. They get so honed in on the fear around that, that they forget the big picture, which is, you know, a great business with resale value, you know, building real equity, you know, freedom, you know, working part-time and making full-time income, whatever those goals are. And they just get caught up in, you know, was it difficult? Yeah. Like it was scary, difficult, saving pennies and changing the quality of my life for a short period of time to have a much better quality of life for the remainder of my life. That was the exchange and it was worth it. That is so important to mention. And I'm glad you were just so honest about what that first year was like, because it can be super discouraging whenever you're putting so much effort in. You did take that leap to start your own business and you don't see any return on all of your efforts yet. But but what you said is you stuck with it and you were learning. You learn from people. You didn't come into this. You put your ego aside. You didn't come into this trying to prove yourself. You came into this saying, I'm a newbie. I need to learn. Teach me. How do I do this right? And I I think a a lot of new entrepreneurs also need to hear that as well because we want to walk into like networking events, pretending that we have our crap together. And really, if we can put that aside, we can learn from people who have been doing what we want to do for 20 or 30 years. Exactly. And you know what I've learned now that I'm on the other side of of the fence I think that in our heart, we all have a a natural inclination to contribute to others. I think it's like this innate need that we have to be of value to other people. Mm -hmm. And um, we think that we're a pain in the neck to others. But what we're actually doing is giving them the opportunity to be valuable if they choose to, to help someone new. Mm -hmm. And it's really like, like today, I get more out of helping new people into my field than I ever thought I would. Like, it's just, it's very much a a part of of my life today is to hopefully be of value to people that are struggling or starting or nervous or scared or questioning their skill set or, or, or needing some coaching or whatever. So, so I just, I just think I was lucky enough to figure that piece out, to be really candid and honest about my um, naivety and my, my uh, stupid questions And I never really felt like a pain to these people. I probably might have been, but uh, I took advantage of anyone who said, call me if you need me. And I think that's the best advice out there. Yeah. Yes. I have experienced the same. Um, I I guess I'm in the middle. I'm in a place now where I can help mentor others, but I'm also in a place where I need mentoring myself, especially um, marketing and advertising and things like that. There's so much more for me to learn in my field. And I notice whenever I ask people who have been doing it, you know, for years and years, they are, most of them are more than happy to share with me and to mentor me. And, you know, when people come to me with business questions that I can easily help them with, I love to do it. Right? Yeah, that's so true. But I want to segue now into what you actually do as a franchise consultant for those listeners out there who are very interested in possibly opening up a franchise. Yeah. Well, so, so, um, okay. So people, 
they don't know, most people don't know that there's a, a whole career around what I do. You know, there are a lot of people who do what I do. And, um, and it sort of goes like this. If, if you were looking to move to California, you know, you could go out on your own and drive neighborhoods or you can get yourself a realtor. And you could have some assistance and ask the questions like, which side of the tracks do I want to live on? And what can I afford? And where should I go? And all that. Um, if you were going to get a job, you could go on your own to monster.com or whatever, or you can get an executive recruiter or headhunter to assist you about getting into the better companies, you know, uh, uh, grooming you for the interview, you know, the help that you need. So it's very similar to, to the combination of those two uh, professions. So when someone has an interest or a curiosity um, about getting into business and they're open to looking not only at their own business, but looking at in the franchise space, what we do is we would connect and um, there are about 3,100 franchises out there. That's a lot. And they're all varying levels of performance, varying levels of culture, right? Everything's different. Um, they're in about 70 different categories. There's all kinds of models and there's all kinds of price ranges. So what we do first is, um, and by the way, my work is similar to those two professions in that my clients don't pay my professional fees at all. Um, there's no charges for them. We go through a coaching process that generally lasts anywhere from two to six months on average, average about four months to do this work. And uh, if at the end of the day, they are offered a business and they purchase that business, that franchise company pays my professional fees. So that's how that goes, just to kind of clear that up because people always ask, what's your business model? Mm -hmm. uh, so anyway, so the very first thing we do is we don't talk about, you know, Dunkin' Donuts and Dairy Queen. We don't talk about it. We talk about their personal desires. You know, a business is just a vehicle. What do you want this vehicle to do for you? And where would you like to go? And where would you like to be? And we figure out what are the characteristics you personally need a business to have in order for you to find it investable. And then we go into a bunch of other stuff, competencies, skills, interests, hobbies, you know, all this other stuff. But the core of the model we build is about the business characteristics that, that have to be present for you to say, hey, that's, a, that's an idea I'm going to consider. And that includes, you know, how much does the business have to make? You know, uh, how much can I invest? You know, how much time do I want to spend in the business? What kinds of things am I, do I want to be doing, et cetera, et cetera. So now, so long as the model makes sense and we work as long as we need to back and forth to make sure it makes sense, um, that it actually exists, this model could really be, be found. Then we go through about 30 of the top sectors franchising is thriving in. And um, during that time, we're looking for an interest level. Like, would you be interested in working with children and their parents or possibly in the automotive field or on and on and on? Mm -hmm. And that helps us further filter down where we go shopping. And then it's up to me to um, go out and look for high performing franchise brands that are growing and want to be where you live and bring you a short list of companies that are worth your time to investigate. So that's the first part. And the second part is the rest of the time we work on a weekly basis and you learn how to conduct a very thorough due diligence process so that you can get all your questions answered. And at the end of the day, they make you an offer of the business and you're in a position of being well-educated, well-informed, you know what's going on, you understand the economics of the business and you get to be in the driver's seat to make the best choice for you and your family. Is this what I want to do? Is this right for me? And is this the one for me? And, uh, and that's the work that we do. So it's education, it's coaching, it's, um, uh, you know, um, all of that, as well as searching. So it's sort of a little bit of, you know, of brokering. It's a little bit of coaching people, prepping them, getting them groomed and ready for the process, depending on if they've done it before. Most people I work with have never even looked. So they don't know how to have an organized search. They pick and choose, kick tires, get overwhelmed or frustrated and don't really, you know, finish to get to the point to say, this is not for me. You know, I'm going to stay employed or, or I love the idea of a business, but I don't want a franchise. I'm going to do it on my own. Like we take them to that point 
that they have enough information to make that kind of a choice. I really am so impressed with everything that you do. I think it is an amazing service and people don't know about it. Uh, I know several incidences of people who got into the franchise field looking solely at numbers or perhaps making Mm -hmm. sort of an emotional decision. And uh, they ended up working in a business that was not a right fit for Mm -hmm. them. So for you to offer this service where you you really dig deep and, and you try to understand what that individual is looking for. And then once you have that, you come up with a list of, of businesses for them and then you help them find a franchise to go into. I mean, anybody who's thinking about getting a franchise absolutely needs to contact Mario because it's just amazing. But I want to talk a little bit now about somebody who's listening and they always wanted to start their own business, but now they're listening to you and they're like, hmm, maybe I should go the franchise route. Why would you recommend opening a franchise instead of starting from scratch with your, with your own brand and your own business? So that's a good question. And that's generally answered in the first few consultations because it's based upon your desire and your goal and the purpose of the business. At the end of the day, most people want to build wealth. They want to leave a legacy, excuse me, for the kids or the family, but really they want to build wealth and they want to do it with the least amount of risk involved. So most people, and again, I've had a few people, very few, and I've been doing this since 2004, very few that at the end of the day say, thank you very much. I have a great idea. I'm going to open my own. They really don't. A certain personality will, but most most don't. And you'll find out early on, like this does not take long. We'll have maybe three conversations and we're going to know that maybe franchising isn't the route for you. Um, the majority, 95% of the people are looking to build maximum wealth, enjoy themselves, have freedom, you know, uh, build a business they could sell at the end of the day um, for that second paycheck, Right. And, um, and do it with the least amount of risk. And so franchising offers that. Um, there are so many benefits to a franchise system. Now, there are definitely, you know, um, uh, some things that are discouraging or, or areas that people say, well, that's really not for me. And we'll talk about those too. But we'll figure that out early. So, for example, um, there's so many. But as an example, people think it's all about the brand. It's not all about the brand. You know, a big brand doesn't necessarily guarantee you're safe, but a growing brand, if you get in at the right time, <coughs> excuse me, and the business goes national, <coughs> excuse me, um, you know, you, you take the equity ride with that business and you sell it at top dollar. You don't necessarily buy it at top dollar, right? You're getting in earlier. It grows national. It's got good you know, everything, all the systems are working. It's got good people running the show. It's in a good solid sector. Um, you have the ability to sell that business at some later date. And um, if it is more recognized, you'll do better in that in that sale. So that's the one piece that the brand, you know, is going to build nationally while you're building hyper-local and it's going to build national. So that's, that's important. Um, but the real benefit of a franchise, the, the real benefit, it's not about a secret sauce. You know, the McDonald's hamburger is not the best burger in the world I've ever tasted. It's not about the product, really. Um, some secret, you know, you could knock off a burger joint or or a, or a ice cream store or a coffee shop. And I could if I just go into it long enough and figure it all out. Um, what it is, is that the business has um, created the best practice in each and every discipline of the business. So there's only one best way to do everything. So let's just think of customer acquisition, customer retention, technology, marketing, right? Um, You know, customer service, product distribution, supply chain, you know, if it's food, it would be all the recipes or what have you, the staffing model, the people piece of it, the management, Um, the location, finding the site, whatever it is, whatever aspect of opening a business or managing it, the corporation has figured out the one best way to do it. And they've packaged it all. 
and they they slap a fee on that, a franchise fee. Maybe it's 20, 30, 40,000. And they give you a protected territory and they give you the opportunity to borrow their brand, to borrow all of their operating systems and to stamp out the same success that we see all over the country because it works. So could you do, let's say it's a dog grooming franchise. Could you open up Robin's Dog Grooming? Sure you can. Or you could open up a franchised dog grooming. The difference, one of the main differences is that when businesses fail, they fail in the first two years. And with a franchise, that you know ramp up time and those protocols to get you up open, operational and profitable are well fleshed out in a good system. So your chances of failure are, are mitigated because of that. Um, you also are going to get generally get to cash flow positive faster because you don't have to figure it all out. So not only do they figure out what to do, you're buying years and years of errors and mistakes all wrapped up into this package to say, here is exactly what you do. If you do this, you should get X. And that idea of buying a well-proven model, hence why we work for six to eight weeks in each company with, with, with that we're looking at, we have to learn how well-fleshed out their model is. So that's what we do in our due diligence. We're learning about it. So that's one of the huge benefits. And then just a couple others that there are tons and tons, but a couple others that I, I tend to bring up. Um, we talked a little bit before about mentorship. Well, here you have dozens or, or, or tens or, or hundreds of people who are your um, colleagues. They're not your competitors, but they're doing the exact same thing in other parts of the country, sharing best practices, sharing what's working, sharing the frustrations. Right. So that level of support and ongoing mentorship and coaching and peer support um, is invaluable in a system. And then thirdly, you have the, the uh, group buying power. So to keep your prices down or keep them in line, you know, you have a um, hundred businesses buying from the same supplier. You can negotiate, whereas maybe Joe's Joe's Corner Candy Store can't, you know. Um, the franchise probably could. So they have preferred vendors for every part of the business, whether it's your technology or your products or what have you. And um, there's economies of scale that way. And that's also true for marketing, cooperative marketing, you know, group marketing. So you see franchises coming together in a particular area, sharing their ideas, sharing best practices, sharing marketing dollars, going out there with whatever, you know, maybe not Super Bowl ads, but maybe really big, print or maybe tons of Facebook or whatever works. So there's lots of benefits to a person who might be a little risk averse, but wants a business. Mm, yes. Yes. There, there are a lot of benefits. And I think those benefits people aren't necessarily aware of. They just want to start their own brand because it's like their own business. But like you said, you are buying into systems. You are buying into marketing. You're buying into a lot of things that you would have to figure out and spend a lot of your own money on when you open up your own business. So I'm curious now, because I'm sure a lot of listeners also want to know this, what is the cost uh, range? I know it's a range, but what's the range of cost of buying into a franchise? Okay. So, so let me explain this. It'll take me three minutes or so, but I think it's worth it because it's not just like a number. Mm-hmm. Let me kind of give you the, the best way that I could, I could describe it. Um, the people I work with are generally professional people. Um, you could spend millions, but that would be more investment groups or venture capital. You know, I'm talking to individuals. So we're looking at a range of $75,000 to $750,000. Okay, so that's a big spread. So it's broken down in general. There's more than this, but in general, for the general person looking it's broken down to three different buckets. So the first bucket is what people think about when they think the word franchise, it's simple retail. This would be a hair salon, a gym, a simple food place, um, coffee shop, whatever. And it's, it's like in a strip mall. It's like, you know, 1500 square feet type of thing. And, uh, you know, minimum wage workers, you know, that kind of a situation, right? 
simple, simple workforce. And they range about $150,000 to maybe $300,000. It all depends on the category. What are we doing? Is it food? Is it, is it a gym? Is it a massage place? What are we doing in there? Um, they tend to be sold in multiple units. So people can actually keep their job, build wealth on the side by multi-unit ownership, opening one every year, let's say, for the next two or three years. And then one day you quit your job and you're managing managers and you have a life. So that's a major, major strategy for a lot of franchise systems. So that's simple retail. We find that in all the categories. Then the second bucket is sophisticated retail. So this would be more like maybe a 2,500 square foot to 5,000 square foot. It could be a very large uh, a day spa with maybe 14 rooms in it. Could be an urgent care center. Could be like a Meineke muffler. Um, these places employ generally folks that are more professionally trained, more, um, they went to school for their craft or their trade. So higher priced, less turnover kind of people, more sophisticated workforce and uh, they range in price from about 350000 to like seven fifty, And we find those in a lot of different categories. Many of these are going to be service-based and they're going to have good margins to them as well. So they can also be semi-passive where you have a manager in there, keep your job. And when the business meets or exceeds your salary, you leave your job. So that's another strategy people really like. And people buy those, they can buy one, they could buy two, three. They tend not to buy 10 and 20, although I've seen that. They tend to buy just a couple of those because they're a larger investment. They make more money. Um, so that's simple retail and sophisticated retail. And then the third area is what people don't ever think about. And there's over a thousand businesses here. And that's in home-based. So these are, these are real businesses with the ability to build wealth and equity and sell someday, not an MLM, you know, not a business opportunity, like an actual business. And um, home-based also would mean like an office base, like a Regis office park, or maybe light industrial space. But it all means the same thing, that the customer does not come to your home or to the light industrial space. Um, home-based businesses are generally service-oriented they can build $2 million plus, plus, plus businesses. And the startup costs range from $75,000 to about $200,000. Um, you generally buy a territory. So this would be something like a ServPro, for example. There's a bunch of vans on the road. They take care of disaster recovery. There's, um, there's a mobile fitness company out there that does very well. So you have vans and personal trainers on the road. There are many in the home services. You know, you could get your uh, uh, budget blinds done or your floors getting done or your roof or your uh, lawn care or your pool care or anything to do with the home is trending very strong now. And there's terrific opportunity there because they're service businesses. So the margins are very, very strong. And um, you could do terrific in that. So a lot of people love this. The only downside there is it can't be semi-passive. You can't keep your job and work from home in a franchise, right? You can't work, you can't have a home-based franchise part-time, right? So you need to be all in. And you need a certain skill set and a certain desired lifestyle. So that is why the beginning of the process is so important to know where to go. So that's kind of where I get this range, right? 75,000 to 750 all in, including franchise fees, startup costs, launching, three months of working capital. It's all in that number. But the beauty is franchising is very financeable. The banks love franchising as a small business option because there's proof, right? Proof in the pudding. There's a brand. There's, there's previous franchisees numbers. So it isn't difficult it's a process, but it isn't difficult to be funded. So you personally can uh, get into a business of your dreams with um, 20%, anywhere from 10 to 30, usually 20% of a cash injection. So for example, a $100,000 home-based franchise, you need 20,000 cash. You need living expenses for the period of time to launch the business. That has to be squirreled away and the rest can be financed at a very reasonable rate through maybe SBA. 
um, or maybe traditional financing. So much more affordable, I was going to say, than people dream of. Yeah. I mean, that's what I was thinking. I know that my wheels are turning when I'm <laughs> mentioning all this because we, you know, whenever we think franchise, you mentioned in the beginning, you know, we're not talking about Dunkin' Donuts. I mean, you could be, but like, that's what we think about. We don't right. think about all of these other options that you can start for a relatively small investment on some of them. So yeah. are there, I know that we talked about the upsides of starting a business or a franchise rather, are there any downsides or any um, cautionary tales, any, anything that you, somebody who's coming in, you would tell them, you know, maybe a franchise is not the best fit for you. Oh yeah. Yeah. I have to have that conversation sometime. Mm. Um, so first of all, you know, we talked about the, the business model has to make sense. So that means you have to have a realistic picture of, um, you know, how this is going to play out. And if it isn't realistic, maybe, you know, business ownership isn't for you. That's really, you know, that's the bigger question. Like I'm willing to risk $50,000 total. I'm not willing to, you know, do a second mortgage. Um, and I want a business that's going to throw off six figures year one. That conversation, business ownership is not right. You need to keep your day job, you know, type of thing. Yeah. But um, if people are looking business ownership regular versus franchise, then the things to really consider, and we go through this like in depth as we get to know each other, um, you have to follow the protocols because franchising works for one reason, and that is we are creatures of habit. And people like a replicable, reliable experience. You know, when I traveled for corporate forever, I stayed at Marriott Courtyards. And the reason was wherever I ended up in the whole country, it was like Groundhog Day, Marriott Courtyard. I knew my breakfast order. I knew the bed, how soft it was. I knew the clicker, the TV. Like, so we just are that way. And franchising thrives because of that. So you, you're never going to see, you know, what uh, probably never going to see donuts being sold at your local, you know, McDonald's, let's say like, you're not going to have, you know, vending machines at the um, um, Dunkin' Donuts. It's doing, you know, video games or what have you. So the fact that I have to execute as I'm told sometimes rubs people so much the wrong way um, that that's a big red flag for them. That's one thing. Um, so there is restriction, but it's restriction for good reason. We call it we call it brand compliance. So you need to be compliant. And what I was telling you before about my journey, the reason that I was so coachable is because I woke up one day and I was old, and I'm like, oh my god, like I'm really like I'm not young anymore. Like I'm just I am older, and I don't want to I don't want to exert extra energy to refigure out a wheel that someone else figured out. See, I came to that conclusion. But if I was, you know, 27, when I thought I ruled the world and I was, the world was my oyster or whatever, um, I couldn't have been told what to do. And so you have to have a level of maturity to really appreciate why you have to uh, let go of doing it mayor's way, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think that's really important. And that's a personality thing. Um, the other thing would be the royalties you are in partnership with the franchisor. So you're paying, the national average right now is 8% royalty and 1.5% national ad fund. So that's close to 10% off of your gross sales every month or every week, whenever they take it. And um, that money goes to fund the corporate office. And all that happens at the corporate office is what we learn about during diligence. So you need to be okay be having a partner, a business partner, that's taking off the gross, not the net, off the gross. And some people look at that and say, what did they do for me lately? I don't, you know, I don't need to be paying that kind of money. Geez, at the end of the year, that's $20,000 or whatever the number is. Mm -hmm. So it's really important during diligence that you take a careful examination of what does my royalty get me? What do I expect? And are the franchisees happy paying it? You know, if other franchisees are complaining about paying royalty, 
You know, that system is a questionable system. They should say, I'll pay it all day long for what I get. So you have to be okay, you know, in that financial relationship. So the restrictions, I think, um, and the other thing is, it's a legal, you know, it's a legal relationship and it's governed by the FTC and it's governed by these documents. And they're like big fat books, uh, 23 chapters are in them. And when you read one of these, you would never buy a franchise, to be honest, because it's like, if you read your mortgage paperwork, none of us would own a home. Right. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's kind of the feeling. It's not written in your favor. Mm-hmm. It's written in the favor of brand compliance. That's how it's written to sell, to save that brand. It gives the franchisor reasons to get rid of people who are not compliant. And some people don't want to be held to that level of scrutiny. Right. So it's not right for people like that. They're just too independent or mavericks. Maybe they're so entrepreneurial, they're going to start Joe's Bakery and that's going to become a franchise, you know? Mm-hmm. They're just not cut out for it. So those are what you would consider to be the considerations or maybe downsides. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, just like my journey taught me, they're really nothing more than questions. And uh, there are ways, which is what I teach, on how to get all your questions answered to make a logical decision, not an emotional decision based on fear or whatever, that that doesn't feel right. You know, you can't make business decisions based on feelings. Mm -hmm. So we learn about the value of all of those things I just mentioned. I love how you break everything down so simply. (laughs) And, you know, it takes a lot of the emotions out of it. And um, it makes it far less overwhelming. You know, like you said, I mean, whenever you look at this big stack of paperwork to buy into a franchise, uh, it's very overwhelming. It's not in the franchisee's favor, but you can really help break it down. Like, okay, this is what you can expect. This is what you can get. And I know the last time that we chatted, I talked about somebody that I know who owns a couple of local franchises um, in a quick serve mm-hmm. restaurant. And uh, the franchisor is like the corporate made this decision that none of the franchisees liked but they kind of had to just deal with it. And, and I know last time that we chatted, you said that not all franchising franchisors are like that. Like some are very much a collaboration between the franchisees and the franchisors. Can you talk a little bit about the different dynamics that occur in different kinds of franchising? Yeah. Well, there's, it's sort of, yeah, that's a big conversation. There's, there's definitely a culture in every single system And there's also a different culture based on the stage of growth the franchise is in. So when we talk initially, we got to talk all about that. Like if you're super entrepreneurial, you might want to get into something ground floor, which is a little newer. They still have their systems and processes figured out or else we're not going to look at them, but they might only have a dozen franchisees. So you would be a bigger fish in a smaller pond, a little bit more important in the beginning uh, you know, closer to the, to the, to the founders, et cetera, et cetera. And there's, there might be more change available for you versus plugging you into a super cuts, let's say, right. With a couple thousand locations, great clip, something like that, where there might be a lot less contribution happening from a franchisee standpoint. Now I'm saying that without knowing the culture intimately, whether or not they go to the franchisees for feedback. So you know, if this gets out there, I'm not suggesting that's true for those two, but it just, mm-hmm. it's just what I mean, like in terms of big versus emerging, right? Mm-hmm. So, so the cool thing about the due diligence process is that first you figure out the systems, if you like the business, the sector, or the product services, et cetera. Okay. You figure out all the systems. You get really impressed with that. Then we figure out the economics. How much money can I make and how quick can I make it until you're really super comfortable with that? Unless there's red flags, then we quit. But anyway, let's we keep going. Okay. Now, all that's left to figure out is, can I do it? Will I enjoy it? And do I like these people? So if you get through the beginning and you're still happy with the process and it's still a possibility, you're actually going to go fly out there and you're going to meet these people as part of due diligence. And 90% of the time, they pay for your flight out there. So it's not like a big expense, right? Maybe they'll pay hotel, you pay flight, vice versa. They pay the whole thing, whatever. But a lot of times they'll pick it up. So um, you go out there, you'll spend a couple days. It's like a day in the life. 
And you really, at that point, is appropriate to use your intuition, to use your gut feeling, to use to use all of that feel-good stuff and say, what is the culture here? You could feel it when you walk into a business, blue suits versus like a casual ping pong table type of a tech company or something. Mm-hmm. Every business has a culture. And you'll meet all of the key people that will support you. Um, you'll meet the founders, the folks you've been talking to. You get all your questions answered, final questions about anything like that. And that's a very important part, I think, of the process. In addition to talking to existing franchise owner and getting your arms around the culture. So some franchises are very um, oriented around contribution and participation. They have tons of committees and groups like People think that they have to just leave all their experience in the in the back room and make donuts the rest of their life. Now that's not it at all. Mm-hmm. You know, many systems have committees like if you have a tech background, you're on the tech committee. You're going to be helping us improve our technology platforms. You know, if you have a sales background, you're on the product development or sales or training or um, or ad fund or what have you. There's also owners associations in all of the systems where the owners get together outside of the franchise um, support people and they have all kinds of conversations. They make sure, kind of like union management in some cases, but they just make sure that the relationship stays healthy. So there's a lot of tapping into a good system, I should say, because I've seen it all really. I mean, not at all, but I've seen a lot. A good, healthy system Uh, understands that, look, for anybody to be in a position to buy a business, they are successful, period. They did something right in their life to be in that position anyway. So you have a ton of wealth of knowledge and creativity and experience and ideas lying around inside of this system that is working because of what's currently working. But what about tomorrow? So many systems have that kind of a participative culture. And then there are those that are kind of horrible. Like you mentioned, and uh, and I hear horror stories, you know, every so often, and uh, it makes me more committed to do what I do to help turn the light on for people, open their eyes, take off the blinders. And, you know, you can't take away all of the risk without taking away all of the opportunity in life. So, yes, there's going to always be the risk. But if you could go through the process without blinders on, you know, a little educated, little direction. Um, more people get into the right business. Yes. And it, it's so refreshing to hear that there are it, it, cultures like that in uh, the franchising world, because it, it, like I said, there or like you said, there's horror stories and I've heard, you know, a couple. So it's very refreshing to myself. And I think a lot of people listening to know you, you're not going to lose yourself as an entrepreneur. You can right. bring your skills into that franchise and help that franchise grow and make it even better. So this has been such an insightful, educational, informational conversation. But for the sake of time, Is there any last piece of advice that you would have for somebody who's listening right now, who's working the nine to five, thinking that they want to go off on their own, thinking they might want to go into a franchise? What would you tell them? So I would say, I would say to people, because a lot of people don't know it's possible to do this, right? Mm -hmm. That the worst thing in the world, and this is from experience. The worst thing in the world is to live with a regret, right? Mm-hmm. Live with a regret, like a what if. Uh, if there's any curiosity at all about is business ownership right for me? Is franchising right for me? What don't I know? Could I earn the kind of money I'm making? And by the way, I will say yes, because I have never had a client say to me a number that he wanted the business to earn, that I wasn't able to show him a business that could do that. So I, I, I don't shy away from those questions at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, if there's any curiosity on your part, you deserve it, you know, to nurture that flame, to nurture that interest, because it's real. Everyone doesn't have the itch that you have. You have it. So you might as well exploit that mm-hmm. and take the journey and go through a structured, um, objective, intelligent search process for yourself so that at the end of the day, you say, yes, it's for me, or no, it's not. And you don't live with a regret 
at 80 years old saying, what if I start my own business someday? You don't want that regret. And there's no love lost if you find out it's not right for you. It's an appropriate answer for some people. But it's a great journey. It's a terrific education. It's like getting a little, a little uh, college degree in franchising. You know, you learn an awful lot. You meet some of the ta- most talented, fun people in business today are the people that I work with all day on the franchisor side. They're just terrific. And you get to meet all these cool people and learn all about these businesses. And, and you just never know, you know, if you don't open up the book and, and read it, you just don't know what's out there. Yes, that is so true. If you have the itch, like she just said, why not? Just look into it. The worst that that can happen is you decide it's not for you, but at least you didn't. Yeah, you won't have that regret. Well, thank you so much, Mariel. Can you tell everybody where they can find you? Because I'm sure a lot of listeners want to know. Yeah, absolutely. So it's really easy. So so my website is thefranchiseadvisor.com. A-D-V-I-S-O-R, um, thefranchiseadvisor.com. So you can go there for some resources. There's also some interviews that are posted on the media page and um, some downloads and stuff. That's sort of the first place you can go. Or you can call me directly at the office. And what we would do is set up a time to chat. And you know, our first call could be 15 minutes and uh, see if you want to take the journey, You know, if it's the right time to take the journey. And uh, my direct line, excuse me, is 732-298-0900. And you can call that number at any time. I'll be back to you within 24 hours and we'll set something up. Or you could always send an email. And um, that's just Mariel, M-A-R-I-E-L at thefranchiseadvisor.com. And I would just love to talk to anybody and answer any questions about um, this dynamic part of business because there's an opportunity for everyone who's got curiosity. Well, thank you so much again. I am going to put all the links below. If this sparked any interest, any franchising entrepreneurial ish within you, reach out. And the worst that can happen is you decide it's not for you. The best that can happen is unlimited possibilities essentially. So look for all the links uh, below in the show notes as well as the link to 10 Steps to Starting Your Business and the 9 to 5 Dropout Academy. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today. Good luck on all of your dreams, and I will talk with you next week. Thank you for tuning in to the 9 to 5 Dropout Show. Be sure to check out the links below to enroll in the 9 to 5 Dropout Academy and receive your free gift and mini course. Let us know what you thought of this week's episode by rating or leaving a review.